And last week we talked about what a healthy family looked like and said that this really is how we experience the abundant life. Uh, Leading up to Easter, we talked about the fact that Christianity is all about life. And we said that when you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is that you actually get a new life. The old you dies and you become a brand new person. And in case you haven't heard that before, it's actually in the scripture. The, the other wonderful thing that happens is that you also receive the gift of eternal life. And we said that eternal life begins right here and right now. And whatever you do, however you live, will affect your eternity. In fact, it will echo in eternity. And then on Easter Sunday morning, we talked about the abundant life, the rich and satisfying life. And what we said is that the only way that you and I are going to experience that abundant life is by doing what Jesus said. Now, some people say, you know, I tried Jesus and it doesn't work. Now, what you've got to understand is that if you're going to try Jesus, if you want to use that term, then you actually have to do what he says, because otherwise it won't work. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Plain and simple as that. Now, that sounds very self-serving for Jesus. But what you and I need to understand is that when you and I obey Jesus, it actually produces in us the abundant life. We experience a happy, fulfilled, rich, and satisfying life. Now, part of this rich and satisfying life is found within the family. In fact, I would say this to you, that the, the, the greatest part of your life has to do with your relationships and, and, and specifically with your family life, with your marriage, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, some of you are sitting here today and say, well, I'm not married, so you know, maybe I'll just play video games, Pastor, until you're done. Now, don't do that. In fact, if your cell phone is on, would you turn it off right now? Um, I just want to make sure that we're not interrupted because once we get going, uh, I, I think, I pray, I hope that your hearts will be challenged and that your married life will take a turn for the better today. Let me say this, in case you're not married, the principles that I'm sharing with you are relational principles so that even if you're not married, if you apply these principles to all the relationships in your life, you will see a marked improvement, a marked change, and you will indeed experience the rich and satisfying life because here's what you and I need to be reminded of. Life is about relationships. That's it. So if life is about relationships, then what you and I need to do is we need to understand how to do this, how to get this right. And, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, I had somebody in the first service hand me a note. And it's actually typewritten, so obviously they didn't just think of it on the spur of the moment. But they said last week, uh, first of all, this person does not have a, a family, is not married, but applied the principles that I shared to having a rich family life. And, and you'll remember that I said that what you need to do is you need to learn to speak to each other. You need to learn to listen to each other. And I said you need to uh, listen twice as much as you speak. We've got one mouth, two ears, so listen twice as much as you speak. Then we see, said we need to learn to give to each other, to share with one another. And then we need to learn how to forgive one another. Well, here's what this person took away for their, uh, for their own personal uh, walk with God, and here's how they applied it. This is for somebody who now who does not have a family and is not married, but was able to take the principles that I shared last week and apply it to their life. And here's what this person said. Dear Pastor Allen, what you said at the end of last week's sermon struck a chord in me right away. I've mentioned it to a few people, and several said that I should tell you. And here's, and I, I love feedback, by the way, so be, you know, by all means, send me your, your, uh, your tweets, uh, send me your emails, send me whatever, let, let me know what's going on. And so this person says, here's, here's, the, uh, here's the love that you spoke about last week, Pastor, to speak, to listen, to give, and forgive. And so this is what this person says, God speaks to me every day through his word, God listens to me all the time, even when I don't have words, God gives me life. His only son, a relationship with him, a world to live in which I can glorify him. God gives me everything. And then fourthly, God forgives me. Thank you. I won't say who it is. I'll keep it anonymous. Here's what you need to know. What you're hearing today 
are principles of excellent relationships. And here's what I know, is that most people, when it comes to relationships, are fairly retarded in that area. Now, that sounds like a negative word. Uh, what, it, what I'm simply saying is that, that they have stopped growing. They've stopped developing. They've had a, 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 something has stopped their growth and so, consequently, they have become very self-centered and very selfish. How many understand today that our biggest problem, and we mentioned it last week, our biggest problem is what? Selfishness. I was asking uh, my kids uh, what they thought of our family. I said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate our family? And I asked Nick, and he said, it's 10 out of 10, Dad, 10 out of 10, fantastic. And I said to, to Sarah, what do you think? Uh, I'd say 9.5 out of 10. So why 9.5? She said, because Nicholas punched me in the nose yesterday. <laughs> so uh, we had a good laugh over to that. I asked Jesse, what, do, what, what would you rate the family? He goes, I'd say it's a solid 8 out of 10. I said, what would we have to do to overcome that, those two points? How can we get up to 10? He goes, well, mom's going to stop cooking healthy food. <laughs> so, more hamburgers, that sort of thing. Um, so we're talking about marriage today, and, and you have to know this about marriage. Marriage is God's idea, and you'll notice in Genesis chapter 2, it's all about the very first marital unit, and God created Adam first, and God looked at Adam's life and said, you know, this is not good for this poor guy to be alone. I mean, there's all kinds of, of fish in the sea, there's birds in the air, there's all kinds of creatures that roam the earth, but none of these is enough to satisfy Adam's longing for intimacy. So what does he do? He creates Eve. That's right. Okay, so here's the top 10 reasons why God created Eve. Are you ready? Top 10 reasons. Number 10, God was worried that Adam would frequently become lost in the garden because he would not ask for directions. (laughs) Number 9, God knew that one day Adam would require someone to locate and hand him the remote. And all the ladies said, yeah, man. <laughs> well, maybe it's the other way around in your house. I don't know. Uh, number eight, God knew Adam would never go out and buy himself a new fig leaf when he wore his out and would therefore need Eve to buy one for him. Uh, number seven, God knew Adam would never be able to make a doctor's, dentist, or haircut appointment for himself, so he created Eve. Number six, God knew Adam would never remember which night to put the garbage on the curb. Number five, God knew if the world was to be populated, men would never be able to handle the pain and discomfort of childbearing. Number four, as a keeper of the garden, Adam would never remember where he left his tools. Number three, apparently Adam needed someone to blame his troubles on when God caught him hiding in the garden. It's her fault. Number two, as the Bible says, it's not good for man to be alone. And the number one reason why God created Eve... When God finished the creation of Adam, he stepped back, scratched his head, and said, I can do better than that. (laughs) And all the ladies said, (laughs) "Ah, now we're talking, Pastor, now we're talking. Okay, so here's, here's what happens. God creates a partner for Adam. And the Bible says a suitable partner, somebody that's especially created and fit for him. And after God creates Eve, here's what Adam says. Let's look at the scripture in Genesis 2, 23 and 25. And in this passage of scripture, let's just, let me just say this. In this passage of scripture, you're going to find the key to a really healthy and strong and successful marriage. Really critical that you get this. So here's what it says. The man said, finally. You remember, he's, there's birds in the air, there's fish in the sea, there's creatures roaming the earth, but there's nothing for him. And he says, Finally, ah, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, ready? Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. And if you've got the King James Version, it says cleaves to his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Now, in this passage, my friends, is the key to a successful marriage, is the key to understanding why your marriage or why your relationship is in trouble or why you're struggling. Now, what you need to know uh, is that marriage is a gift from God. 
And some of you today would say, you know, my marriage is, doesn't feel like that. It's a, real, it's a real drag. It's really difficult. In fact, I do whatever I can to not go home and face my spouse. That's too bad because God created marriage for you. It's a gift from him to you. Solomon the wise, in Proverbs 18, verse 22, he says, he who finds a wife finds a treasure and, the, and he receives favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a treasure. Now, this is not the kind of treasure you bury. Hello? This is the kind of treasure you cherish and you keep and you take care of and you protect and you love. And guys, right there, understand that if you cherish your wife, you will enjoy an intimacy in your marriage unlike anything you've ever known before. God has created your marriage for your benefit, for you, because he knows it's what you need. He who finds a wife finds a treasure and finds favor with God. Now, can you say that about your spouse? Can you say that about your marriage? Is your marriage, is your marriage that safe and secure place, that place that makes you feel fantastic? Did you know that the percentage of married individuals who responded to, um, to a questionnaire about how happy is your marriage? 63.1% of the men said they were very happy, and 60.7% of the women said they were very happy. Now, that sounds quite promising. You know, it's not too bad. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not great, but it's, it's actually not even this good. Here's what they say. They said that the probability that a first marriage will survive 10 years is 1 in 15 only. That's pretty shocking stuff. They say this, that for every two marriages recorded in a given year, there is one divorce. And for those who cohabitate, listen to this, those couples who cohabit have a 46% greater risk of breaking up or divorce than couples who do not live together before marriage. For those who cohabit, without a prior commitment, without making vows to one another, are especially at risk if they eventually decide to marry. So what you and I need to understand is that when you and I stand at this altar, and we've got to do that, that's God's, that's God's provision, that's God's direction, that's God's will. You don't just live with somebody. Young people, listen, as you get ready to face that next phase in your life, don't, don't live with anybody, marry them. And don't marry them until you're sure this is the right one to marry. Because here's what needs to happen. You need to make promises to each other. You need to make vows to each other. You need to make vows to each other whereby you make a commitment to live not for yourself, but for that other person. Now, the happiest marriages in the world are the marriages where he lives for her and she lives for him. And the only fights that they have are over who gets to serve who. It's my turn to make the coffee for you. No, it's my turn to make the coffee. It's my turn to take the garbage out. No, dear, it's my turn to take the garbage out. Sit down and let me take the garbage out. Drop that bag of garbage. I'm taking it out. That's the kind of fights that you need to be having. Now, here's the thing. Those who have those kinds of fights are the ones that have the best marriages in the world. But guess what? It takes two. It can never be one-sided. The minute one person is serving the other more than the other, that's the beginning of the breakdown in the marriage. Now, God has an ideal for us that he wants us to follow, and it's found here. Here's, here's what has to happen if you're going to have an awesome marriage. Here's, what has to, here's what's going to happen if you don't abide by these two principles, and here they are. Number one, Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. And what happens? They become one flesh. That's God's ideal, the first ideal. The second ideal, the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Now, we find here two of the, two of the basic principles for a happy marriage. Husband and wife become one. And secondly, they're able to be naked with each other without feeling shame. Or if you want to put it in these words, they're able to be vulnerable with one another. If you are not able to be vulnerable with one another, your marriage is heading for the rocks. In fact, you probably are on the verge of divorce or, the, or it's coming to the end. If you have not become one, if you're not working at being one, then again, your marriage is in serious trouble. Now, here's what I know. I know that young couples, when they first get married... 
you know, the, the euphoria of marriage and the euphoria of, of their sex life is still carrying them through. It's still exciting, and they can overlook stuff as long as, you know, they get what they want. But it doesn't take long before it all begins to unravel and fall apart. So what I want to do today is I want to show you these biblical principles that will help maintain and help make sure that you have a great marriage for years to come. Now let's take a look at these two principles. Become one flesh and be vulnerable with one another. We read in Genesis chapter 2 that that was God's standard. That was what God created. That's what God wanted for every married couple. But by the next chapter, by Genesis chapter 3, it all falls apart. This couple who were one now are fighting with each other. Remember after Eve and uh, Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam and they both ate the fruit and next thing you know, uh, sin entered in because they disobeyed God? What happens? Eve blames the snake and Adam blames Eve and Adam blames God for creating the snake and for creating Eve and it's all your fault God and Eve now we've got this massive division that's taking place Adam is against Eve Eve is against Adam Adam is against God and it's a disaster and and not only that but Adam and Eve now are against creation the whole thing is falling apart we've got massive division and breakdown in the family unit, in the marriage unit, and in, 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 in all of the world. And it goes on even to the family and to the kids. And not only is there a breakdown, but now they have lost their vulnerability, they've lost their nakedness, now they're clothed because they, they, they know shame. Now they're not able to be transparent with one another. Now you're going to see really quickly why it is so important that you maintain oneness in your marriage so that you can also maintain nakedness or vulnerability. And you'll see what this means in just a moment. Now, let's, talk, let's take a look at this. What happens after we fall? What happens after we sin, after we, we break the laws of God? What happens after we start living selfish lives? Here's what happens. When you, break, when you begin to examine the breakdown of marriages, and I've been, Gloria and I have been married for 24 years, uh, this, this August, um, I've been in the ministry for almost 30 years. I've been counseling for many years. And this is what I see every single time, is that, is that the problems in the marriage can be traced back to those two things. The couple has ceased to be one. And secondly, they've ceased to be vulnerable with one another. Let's talk about that. What happens? How do they stop being one? What, what causes the breakdown in the oneness of the marriage? Remember when you first got married, how in love with, you, you, with each other you were? I mean, you could spend hours with each other every day and not get sick of each other. I mean, you, you were laughing because you were thinking the same things. You would say the same things. And you, you know, you catch each other's pinkies because you said the same thing at the same time. And it's like, well, we're just meant for each other. We should get married. Remember those days? And then not only that, but I mean, you, you liked watching the same shows on TV, uh, and, I mean, you both enjoyed watching football. At least she pretended she liked it. <laughs> uh, she didn't mind it because he was sitting still, not moving, and she could hold his hand. And, and it's like a, it was just like a, a wonderful sort of agreement that happens here. You get to watch football while I get to hold your hand, and everybody's happy. And then it begins to fall apart. What happened? Well, here's, here's what happens in so many relationships. Firstly, you notice that it says here, therefore a man leaves his mother and his father, and embraces his wife. This is, this is one of the number one problems in marriages, is that the extended family interferes in your marriage. The mother-in-law has decided that her daughter-in-law just is not good enough for her son, or vice versa. And now, when there's any communications to be done with the family, they bypass that, that member of the family that's not their own flesh and blood. And next thing you know, you've got division happening. Can I remind you, ladies, that your husband is supposed to be your best friend, not your mother? I'm glad you've got a great relationship with your mother, but your husband's supposed to be your best friend. He comes first. Do you know how many families struggle because there is a loyalty problem? And the loyalty problem, my friends, is this, is that you're supposed to be loyal to your spouse, First, your husband, your wife, that person comes first every time. Even when she's wrong, she's first, she's right. Even if he's wrong, he's right. That is in the eyes of everybody else. 
Now, that might sound extreme, but here's what you need to know. You need to know that you are one. And the last thing that you want to do in front of other people is be divided. Because I'm going to tell you, the one, the one who receives the opposition of everybody is the one that's going to hold deep resentment in his or her heart. And you don't want that to happen, yet it happens all the time. So here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that your spouse is number one at all times. That no family member, that no friend comes between you and your spouse. Do you know how many, how many marriages, young marriages, where he would, the, the husband would rather go hang out with his friends than hang out with his wife? And then they wonder why they've got marriage problems. Now, look, at, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having friends uh, you know, having, having your guy friends or having your girlfriends or whatever, but what you got to remember is that your spouse comes first every time. And I don't, quite frankly, I don't know why you'd want to go hang out with somebody other than your spouse, except that you've got problems in your marriage. Now, here's the thing. If you've got a great marriage, if you love your spouse and you guys are tight, then, frankly, you're going to say to your buddies, look at, I, you know, golf or, or pool or whatever, great, but, you know, I'd rather hang out with my wife. What's the condition of your marriage today? Here's the other thing that's a problem. Separate bank accounts. Do you know, I always ask this when I do marriage counseling. And by the way, I never marry anybody unless they come for counseling. They got to get counseling from me or go, to, go to somewhere else to get counseling, but they got to be counseled. Because here's what I've discovered. Every couple that gets counseling from me, when I marry them, their marriage lasts. Those who refuse to get counseling, those who pretend they don't need it, who think they know it all, they always have problems, and almost always it doesn't last. Why? Because they're not prepared, they're not ready to do what's necessary to maintain a good relationship. And what are they? Be one and be vulnerable with each other, be naked with one another. That's the key to a happy marriage. So I see couples, separate bank accounts, it's, I got my money and he's got his money, and never will the two meet. And, you know, we, now we're going to fight over who pays for what. Well, you know, you're paying more money on bills than I am or vice versa, and that's not fair, and, and I'm going to keep back some money. I've got some money hidden under the mattress. I've got money hidden in, in my shoes. I've got money hidden behind a picture that he doesn't know about. He'll never know about it because he wastes money. He doesn't know how to take care of it. He's irresponsible. Next thing you know, she's telling everybody what a jerk he is and how irresponsible he is with the money. Does this ring a bell? Mar Do you know that marriage, the number one problem in marriage is money? And that's what marriages fall about. It's, it, it fall apart. It's over money. One more reason why a couple is not one as God intended it. Some couples have prenups. A prenup agreement where they say, before we get married, we're going we're gonna to just establish a contract so that if our marriage doesn't work, you can't take the money off me. Okay, look, before you even got married, you're, you've got division there. You're not one. Your, your marriage is, is ended before you've even begun. You say, well, I can't take the risk. Listen, this is what marriage is. It's this massive risk. You take this massive risk of marrying this person. And here's, here's how you know it's going to work out. Here's how, it, how, here's how it's going to work out. Is that as long as you're living unselfishly, as long as you're both living unselfishly, then you guess what? Your marriage is going to work. I guarantee it. It's a, it's, uh, it's a money-back guarantee. Come to me, and I'll give you your money back if you've lost money through divorce. If you're living selfishly, your marriage is doomed. If you're living for the other person, if that's the battle that you're going through, is, is how do I get my rights? Then your, your marriage is, is done. It's not going to work. God's plan is you be one. Now, here's something else, and I debated sharing this because, you know, we've got a mixed crowd, but here's what I do know about you young people. You've already had your sex education school. You know all about it, so here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're going to be one, big part of it is that you actually enjoy a healthy sex life. You have to have that. You've got to enjoy that intimacy, that physical intimacy. And here's what happens so often in marriages. If she becomes angry at him, then she says, no more sex for you, dear, and doesn't even say dear. It all comes to an end. 
And the Bible is very clear about the importance of surrendering your body to one another. This is the biblical standard. And yet we see this all the time. Young couples come to me, their marriage is stressed out. And the very, one of the first things I ask a young couple when they've got marriage problems is, how's your sex life? Because it's the first indicator to whether or not they're they are enjoying intimacy and whether or not they're one or not. She, she says, I'm not, I'm not giving you what you want. And next thing you know, he's looking at pornography. And next thing you know, their hearts are so far away from each other. I mean, you couldn't bridge it with the best bridge builders in the world. They are done. You can stick a fork in it, it's done. Now, it's very quiet in here right now. I want to tell you this. If you are struggling in terms of the oneness between you and your spouse, this is something that you need to address immediately because you are on the verge of disaster. Not maybe, but absolutely 100% for sure. And those of you who have struggled in your marriage or those of you who have experienced divorce, you know that what I'm saying rings a bell. It's absolutely true. At some point along the way, you stopped being one. You stopped, you stopped interacting as one. You started being two people living under the same roof. You became more like roommates than you did act as a married couple. I'm surprised at how many couples have separate social lives. He goes out with his friends. She goes out with her friends. He, she goes on her vacation. He goes on his vacation. They uh, start talking about each other behind your, each other's backs. When he gets together with his friends, he talks about, about his wife, who's a real witch. And she talks about her husband and what a jerk he is and how irresponsible he is and how unresponsive he is and, and why did I ever marry him and how can I get rid of him? And next thing you know, she's seeing a hitman. <laughs> And we're not sure why. <laughs> is it for the relationship or is it to knock them off? We don't know. Now, here's the thing, folks. Our culture, again, has got a, sets for us a very bad model of what marriage looks like. Has anybody ever heard of Everybody Loves Raymond? For seven years, or eight years, pardon me. I think it's eight years of episodes where the plot line is this. And they create a tension. They create a tension and then build, build on that, build the humor on that. And here's, here's what the tension is. Here's what the, here's what the plot is. It's, it's, it's Raymond being selfish versus Deborah being selfish. And he, he just wants to go golfing. He doesn't want to watch the kids. And he tries to figure a way to get his mother over to watch the kids. But now she doesn't like the mother and the mother doesn't like her because, because you know, Raymond is every, everybody loves Raymond and nobody loves Deborah, if you know the story. And then the parents are exactly the same. She hates him. He hates her. They call each other names for the whole program. And then the older brother, Robert, gets married, and even he resorts to the same things. And next thing you know, you see that everybody's agenda is very self-centered. And you don't see Raymond and Deborah as a team. And you don't see, uh, you don't see Raymond's parents as a team. Now, for those of you who know, watch TV don't know what I'm talking about, I mean, you understand what I'm trying to say here. Is that it's not funny to live a married life where you are opposed to each other and when you've got conflicting agendas and where you're trying to pursue your agenda and she's trying to pursue her agenda. Listen, this is a recipe for an end to your marriage as you know it. Now, here's what you need to understand. It's impossible to be intimate. It's impossible to have a deep and close relationship with someone that you don't trust. And the only way that you're going to establish trust is by being one. Now, we, we really do things wrong. We really destroy the oneness in our marriage. And not only do we destroy the oneness in our marriage, but we also destroy the nakedness or the vulnerability that's supposed to take place between a husband and wife. So well, what, are you, what are you talking about? Well, let me say this to you. Intimacy, that's where your heart connects with another heart is the most basic and the greatest human need. Your desire is to connect with somebody else. Guys, listen to this, and I've seen this too many times. 
I'll get a phone call from a man who'll say, my marriage is in trouble. And I say, what's going on? My wife is having an affair. And I'll call him in, and then and, and I say, and I'm going to tell you what's, what, I'm going to tell you why your, pro, why your marriage fell apart. And they'll sit there, and then I'll explain to them. I'll say, you've been ignoring your wife. You've been paying any attention to her. You've been doing your own thing. You don't talk to her. You don't care about her. You don't express love for her. You don't, you don't want to be with her. And now suddenly, some man somewhere along the line was nice to your wife and spoke kind words to your wife and expressed an interest in what your wife had to say. Some man actually listened to her talk. And right away, her heart went to this man. And now he's, the husband's all surprised. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Is that you did not give your wife the intimacy that she needed, and somebody else did. It's plain and simple as that. And by the way, it goes both ways. So here's the thing. Marriages fall apart. Divorce happens. Because somewhere along the line, you stop being one. And when you stop being one, then the intimacy left. And when you lost the intimacy, now your heart is wide open to, to anybody who will come along and be nice. It's that simple, folks. And that's sad. God has got a plan for your marriage. And you've got to do what it says here. You've got to be one. And you've got to make sure that you maintain your vulnerability. Now, can I just tell you this? Because some people, some people don't understand this. But can I tell you that fighting is okay? If you look at my wife over there, you'd never believe that she's got a feisty bone in her body. Don't worry, she knows all about this. She was at the first service. <laughs> but I tell you, Gloria and I, we can have some rip-roaring fights. And I'm telling you, uh, we have some real good ones. But here's what happens when we fight. We communicate. Gloria never puts me down. She never makes fun of me. She never attacks me personally. And I, I hope I don't do that to her. But what we do do is we debate the issue. And sometimes, like, let's face it, sometimes we're emotional, sometimes we're upset, sometimes we're angry, whatever, but we're going to fight it out. And then I'll tell you, making up is great fun. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Here's what happens, though, with so many people, is that now they're not debating the issue, now they're attacking each other and putting each other down and making fun of each other. And actually making personal, personal nasty remarks. If that's going on in your marriage, I can say that your marriage is probably just about over. The couples who are mean to each other and attack each other with words, with sarcasm, with, with put-downs, with humiliating words, those are the couples that don't last. And so can I just say this to you couples? If you're sarcastic with each other, if you have to put each other down, if when you're with your friends, you make fun of her or you make fun of him, what you don't know is that although he may be laughing or she may be laughing, they're just laughing just so that it doesn't get awkward. But inside, you've just broke their heart. You've just hurt them in ways that you cannot imagine. And this, my friend, my friends, is the result of the fall. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I want to go back to Genesis chapter 2. Can we do that? Can we go back to the Garden of Eden? Because this is what God wants for everybody here today. God wants you to live in the Garden of Eden. Do you know that? He wants your marriage to be the Garden of Eden. And here's what has to happen. You have to make sure that you work at being one. Gloria and I have been married for 24 years this August. And when I married Gloria, I thought I really, really loved her. I could not imagine that I could ever love her anymore. Can I just tell you that after 24 years of really working on our marriage, of being one, I feel like I love her more than I ever loved her before. In fact, I feel like I didn't even love her compared to how I love her now. Now, I know some of you are feeling like gagging right about now. <laughs> but you need to know that I'm celebrating my marriage and I'm celebrating the hard work that we've done for 24 years. Marriage, a good marriage, doesn't happen by accident. It's something that you work at. And so I want to just quickly share with you some of the things that you have to do if you're going to have a great marriage. And the first thing you need to do is you need to become an expert on marriage. 
And here's the first thing that I did way before I ever got married. I got a hold of some books on marriage. And I'm going to tell you, back in, uh, back 25, it was more than that, because it was in my uh, mid-20s, I, I bought these books. There weren't many books on the subject of marriage. Very few. In fact, I could probably, you probably count them in one hand. But one of the books I bought was called If Only He Knew. And this is a, it's called A Valuable Guide to Knowing, Understanding, and Loving Your Wife. Now, I've given this book out to, oh, dozens and dozens of people. In fact, anybody that I, uh, I, I do marriage counseling with, I insist that they read this book. And by the way, there's one, one for the ladies, for better, for best. A Valuable Guide to Knowing, Understanding, and Loving Your Husband. Now, can I just say this? Um, by, the time I got, by the time I got married... I was an expert on marriage, and uh, I am the best husband in the world today, consequently. And I know that because Gloria tells me that. But I'm going to tell you this did not happen by accident. It happened by being a student, by studying carefully how best to meet the needs of my wife. And I'm going to tell you, if you approach this as what do I get out of it, then it's not going to work. But if you approach that your marriage... In terms of what can I give my wife? What can I do for my wife? How can I please my wife? How can I make my wife happy? It's, it's absolutely revolutionary. And that's how Gloria and I have tried to live our married lives for the past 24 years. Gloria, I, I believe, has read this book. And I've read this book. And any book I give this to, any, any lady I give this to, this, this is the book about women. How do guys should love their wives. Any woman that reads this book, she sobs through the whole thing. Yes, that's right. That's me. My husband's not doing it. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, this is awful. My, my marriage is terrible. Ah! It's all, every woman that reads it balls her eyes out because this is like he's just not getting anything right ever. And I don't know if it works the other way around. I don't think the guys go, ah, she's not. Guys are like, basically, when it comes to relationships, guys are just like scratching their heads and thinking, you know, I bring home a paycheck. What else does she want? What else could she possibly want? She gets money. She could go to the movies if she wants. <laughs> She'd get her hair done. I mean, what could she, more could she possibly want? Ladies, you know that what you want more than anything is you want the heart of your husband. You've got to become true students of marriage. We, every September, we have a class for marriages, marriage classes, and we have classes uh, for parenting. Now, here's what I've discovered, is that the people who've got good marriages come to the marriage classes, because they're the smart ones. They understand that in order to get, be even better at their marriage, they need to get counseling. They need to get instruction. They need to be reminded of what they've already learned. They need to keep getting better and better. It's the ones that have the bad marriages. They don't come to these classes because they, frankly, they, they're, first of all, they're ignorant of, the, of their problems. But secondly, they're ashamed. They're afraid that if, you know, if they show up to the class, people will think, oh, look who's got problems with their marriage. It's stupid. Here's what I think. I think everybody should go for counseling. Everybody. You say, well, I haven't got problems. I'm not, listen. How silly would it be for you to show up at the doctor's office and say, doctor, I've, I've had this thing. It started very tiny, but now look, it's the size of a grapefruit growing out, growing out of the side of my body. You think you can help? And the doctor's going to say what to you? Why didn't you come in when it was the size of a pea? Why did you wait till it's the size of a grapefruit? Oh, I didn't want to bother you. I just wanted to see what would happen. You're going to die, man. And this is, what it is, this is the way it is with so many marriages. You, rather than going and getting help and getting the counsel, while things are still relatively good, you wait till you're almost dead. And then maybe, maybe we can salvage the thing. Most times you can't. So here's what you need to do, is you need to really work hard at being one. That means get the counsel that you need. Read the books. By the way, I've got 10 sets of these. If any couples want to buy these sets, you can buy them. We'll get more. But you've got to become an expert on your marriage. And I'm going to tell you this. It's absolutely 100% worth the investment of investing in your marriage because what you put in is what you get out. It's making a decision to be unselfish in your approach to your marriage. Here's what else you got to do. You got to do what you can to understand each other. One of the things Gloria and I did, thanks to uh, Ben and Lynn Hepner, is we took this DISC profile. 
It just profiles basically a personality profile that helps us understand each other. Gloria is different than Alan, and Alan is different from Gloria. And Alan is different from Sarah, my kids, and Nicholas and Jesse, and they're different from me. Guess what? If we're going to have a good, tight relationship, if we're going to get along with one another, if we're going to love each other, then we've got to understand each other. I can't deal with Gloria the way I would expect to be dealt with because I'm different. And so many of us, when we deal with the people in our lives, we do it through our own filter. And we think, you know, why aren't they more like me? Because they're not. They're different. And as the French say, vive la... Oh, you're not French, are you? Okay, let's say it in English. Uh, oh, i got to say it in French. <laughs> vive la différence. Right? This is what makes life wonderful, is that there are differences, that there is variety. Now, I'm going to just say this to you. Um, if you're going to have a great marriage, if you're going to really work at being one, you need to become an expert. You need to communicate. That means keep your mouth shut and listen more. And don't be one of those people that's like, oh, if you'll just stop talking, then I can say my part. There's a lot of people like that. They're not, they're not listening to a word you're saying. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so that they can, you know, vomit on you. And then you can vomit back on them. And I mean, there's no exchange taking place. I've been with families where everybody is talking at the same time. And this is very confusing for me because I can only listen to one person at a time. So we sit at a table and everybody's talking over each other. Everybody's talking. And I, I, I literally, I've been, I've been in a situation where I'm looking, three people talking. I look at him, look at him, and then look back and forth. Like back and forth like this. And nobody gets it. And I'm literally going like this. Listen, I listen to her, listen to him, listen to him. And, and, and nobody's getting it. Can, can I just tell you this? Communication requires listening. I don't really need to say much more than that. But I'll say this. When you do communicate, never use language that divides. Never use hurtful words. Never use words that are negative. Never use words that are put down. Never, never use words like this. You always are late. You always say nasty words. You are never on time. You never care about me. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't speak in those kinds of words. Address the issue. If there's an issue, speak specifically and only to that issue. Don't say, well, you know, you, 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 you do this all the time. Don't go back to the past. Deal with right now and only now. And I'm going to guarantee you that you'll remain one. You'll stay one. You'll be strong as one. Make sure you have frequent physical contact. Hold hands when you're in public. I know some don't like that. Some, aren't, some men are especially not comfortable with that. Your wife needs it. She might say, I don't need it, but she'd like it. She would love it if you put your arm on her shoulder so that everybody knows that she belongs to you. Remember what, what Solomon said. He finds, a, he finds a wife, finds a treasure. A treasure needs to be cherished. A treasure that's not cherished by you will be cherished by somebody else. What else do you need to do? You need to make sure that you maintain an excellent sex life. You need to make sure that you're, that you're maintaining regular times of intimacy. You need to make sure that you protect your marriage by never going to bed angry with one another. Never go to bed. If that means staying up all night, do that. But do not go to bed angry at each other. Deal with it and deal with it immediately. And I, here's something else you can do. If you're, if you're hanging out with couples that are negative with each other, you know, she's putting him down, he's putting her down, get out of the house, get away from those people. Do not hang out with people, with, with, with couples who are angry at each other and hate each other and talk about each other behind each other's backs. They're deadly. I'm going to tell you this, you hang out with them, you become like the people you hang out with, you'll be doing the same thing very soon. Get rid of those people. If you're hanging out with somebody who's putting your spouse down, Get rid of that person. You've got to cut them off because it's going to destroy your marriage. I know some of you are thinking, well, what if, it's your, your, what if it's your mother who's talking about, or your father? Does that mean you never talk to them again? No, it means that you have a really good conversation and make it clear to your parents, to your family, to your, your spouse, to whoever. You make it clear. This is my spouse. You attack him, you attack me. And vice versa. I'm going to tell you, you do that for your spouse, your spouse will fall in love with you all over again. Make sure that you do not let your children come between you and your spouse. I've seen this all the time. Father says no, 
child goes to mother. Mother says, did he say no? <laughs> He's so stupid. Yes, of course you can. And vice versa. Did she say you can't? <laughs> she doesn't know anything. Of course you can do what you want. And next thing you know, you've got a child-parent alliance. And now it's, it's, it's us against them. It's mother and son against father and daughter. This happens all the time. Stop it. Put an end to it immediately. Make sure that your kids know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and your spouse are one. I'm going to tell you what happens then if you make sure that happens. You will, you will develop an intimacy. If your spouse knows that he can trust you, that she can trust you, you will develop an intimacy that you've never known before. Remember, intimacy is built on trust. And trust is built on oneness. So this is a standard that God sets for us. They become one flesh, and they are naked together. They feel no shame. They're able to be vulnerable. They're able to be transparent. They're able to open their hearts up and say, this is where I, this is where I stand, this is what I believe. Now, how do you maintain that, folks? Here's, here's what you need to know. You need to make sure that you maintain an excellent relationship with God. Here's what the statistics say. The rate of satisfaction in marriage is higher for husbands and wives when both regularly maintain religious attendance at church and feel that God is the center of their marriage. Here's the thing. You maintain a right relationship with God, and here's what you're going to do. Automatically, you are going to stop living for yourself. You're going to live for others because this is what God commands. This is what Jesus commands. You're going to start forgiving one another because this is what Jesus commands. You're going to start, start being other-oriented because this is what Jesus commands. You're going to be walking in humility because this is what Jesus commands. Now, when you start living in a way that pleases Christ, it absolutely changes the whole game. It makes your marriage richer because now you are living in a way that is purely other-oriented. That, my friends, is the foundation of Christianity. Watch very carefully what you say to maintain that vulnerability. I can say, has anybody ever heard of Richard Roberts, the son of Oral Roberts? He and his wife, Patty, the, his first wife, used to sing on their television program all the time. And, uh, and they looked happy. They looked cheerful. They held hands. They sang. They raised their voices to God. Beautiful, big smiles. They looked the best. But it wasn't long before their marriage was over. And she wrote a book about it. And in it, she said, on the first, on the first night when they came together as a couple, after she took her clothes off, became vulnerable to become naked before her husband, he says to her, oh, you're fatter than I thought. I'm not kidding. Do you want to know something? That night was the beginning of the end of their marriage. Now, here's what you got to do, folks. If you're going to maintain a right relationship, a vulnerable relationship, where you can be intimate with one another, where your heart can connect with the heart of your, of your spouse, then you're going to have to really, really surrender your tongue to Jesus Christ and ask him to change what comes out of your mouth. And the way that that's going to happen is make sure that you change what's in your heart because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm going to close with this. In the 1800s, a very new and common and popular thing for the rich people to do was to build what they called a secret garden or a walled garden. They built walled gardens to, uh, for their vegetables and produce to protect it against the frost and the wind so they would grow strong and healthy. But then someone got the idea, why not build a secret garden that's just for us, just for the husband and wife? a gated little garden with walls and a key that is required to get in. And in that garden were all kinds of beautiful flowers that the, that the couple would personally uh, plant and, and take care of. And they would put benches in there and maybe a swing in there, but it would be their own private, personal little space for nobody else. It would be the place where they would make memories, a place where they would be able to talk and share together, and it was just for them. Now listen to me. Here's what God wants for your marriage. God wants your marriage to be a secret garden. He wants it to be a place that's safe and secure, a place that's just for you and your spouse, a place where you can return to time and again, where you've got special memories that's just between you 
and your spouse. Gloria and I, over 24 years, we've gotten so many inside jokes. I mean, we just have to say a word. I have to just say a word, and, and it just brings in a flood of memories, and we laugh together. We don't have to even talk about it. We just have to say a word, and we're, we laugh about it. I can just look at Gloria sometimes, and she just has to exchange a look with me, and we know what each other's thinking after 24 years. Listen, what you need to do if you want to have a strong and healthy marriage is you need to start building your secret garden. Start having special memories just between you and your spouse. Special conversations. Special times of lovemaking just between you and your spouse. Special times of, of, of sharing a book together, sharing ideas together, having a cry together, having a time of prayer together. And sharing with each other what God is saying to each other. Listen to me. You create a secret life that's just between you and your spouse. I'm going to tell you, we live in an age where everybody just spurts out everything that happens in their private life. I mean, Facebook is like everybody just living their life, all their guts on the page, and everybody can see what's going on. I mean, I just saw, we just saw a fight, a husband and wife fight on Facebook. And she's saying, I can't stand it when people don't keep their promises and, and don't say what they're going to say. And then he responds, effing this and that and the other thing. It's like, because he's mad because she's going and, and, and she's actually got a hidden message for him. But without being upfront, without being honest, without speaking clearly and, and frankly. And he's responding like that. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if this is what they're going to do in public, what's going on in private? So here's a question for you today. Have you started... Do you have a secret garden? Do you have a garden of Eden that's just for you and your spouse that nobody knows about and you'll never tell anybody and it will go with you to the grave because it's just for you and your spouse? Gloria and I have a secret garden that we, that we return to again and again where we share our thoughts, our dreams, our memories, our hurts, our pains, our, the stuff that's just for us and for nobody else and nobody will ever know about it and it will never be written in a memoir. It will never be written in a book. And it'll never be, you'll never hear it from, from the platform. You'll never hear it because it's just for us. It's our secret, safe, and happy place, a place that we can go to and be nourished and refreshed. Friends, this is what God wants for you. And the only way it's going to happen is if you do it his way. Be one and be naked together. Be vulnerable. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of marriage. Thank you, God, for what you want to do in our hearts and our families and our marriages. God, we have been instructed from your word today that we need to do with everything that's in us, with every bit of strength, in, with every bit of power that we have and possess, we need to work hard at being one with our spouse. God, forgive us for the ways that we have been divisive. Forgive us for the ways that we have offended and hurt our wife, our husband. And God, help us, we pray, to learn what it means to be vulnerable with each other, to really be transparent, to really open up our heart, to pour out our pain, to pour out our happiness, to pour out our emotions with each other, and know that it's a safe place to do that. God, I pray that every couple here would be able to form a secret garden of their own memories, a place that they can return to time and again and be refreshed and encouraged. And we thank you, God. That although Adam and Eve brought us down, Jesus Christ has brought us back up again. And we can enjoy this beautiful, beautiful thing called marriage. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell that person beside you, go enjoy your husband or your wife. <laughs> <laughs>